Well, good morning, 11 o'clock. How are you guys doing this morning? A couple of you guys are awake. You guys, you guys got the time change all right? You guys got it figured out? You guys are all good? You guys got enough sleep? So this is the group that slept in this morning. There's still another group that's still sleeping right now. We, we appreciate you all being here this morning. My name is TJ. One of the pastors here. We're happy that you're with us. And uh, I, I love this time of year. Uh, not particularly time change. Anybody like time change out there? Can I just, like, one, okay, one person. Anybody not like time change weekend? Like, yeah, yeah, the vast majority of us. Okay, I just want to make sure we're in, in unison here, except for the one straggler out there. We'll pray for you. Um, but, uh, you know, this is, this is an interesting time of year. Uh, the cool thing about this time of year is we have Easter coming up in two weeks. Anybody excited about Easter? Okay, that, that was a crappy applause for the day that a guy died and rose again so that you could have a life and have it more abundantly. Anybody excited about Easter? All right. That's a little bit better. I mean, that, it's, it's a pretty important day. And so, uh, man, we're excited about Easter. We can't wait for it. We got some great things planned. Um, but today, I got to start with this question today. How many of you guys have one of those drawers, maybe it's in your kitchen, maybe it's uh, in, in a room, that is, is that junk drawer. How many of you guys have a junk drawer in your house? Yeah, the vast majority of it. Some people are raising like multiple hands. That must mean they have like multiple junk drawers. Uh, I, I, I definitely got a junk drawer in my house. In fact, we've kind of elevated uh, uh, to the next level above junk drawers. We got a junk room. How many people out there got a junk room? Like, like one of your bedrooms just has got to become this, this pit of whatever you need to clean up that day when you have guests coming over, kind of get thrown in that room. Yeah, I, I, I got that room. In fact, when guests come over, people are coming over to our house. Uh, our, our far bedroom that's the furthest away from everything in our house is, is kind of the junk room at this point, but it's right next to the bathroom. So when people are like, where's the bathroom? We're like, straight down the hall. Do not go to the room on the right. Don't open that door. Something might eat you. We don't know what's going on in there. Junk, junk, the junk drawers are just a, an interesting thing, or the, your junk room is just an interesting thing because it's, it's the place where you don't have anything, you don't know where that stuff goes, so you just kind of toss it in there. Isn't that what that, that drawer is for? Like, oh, we got extra batteries, let's throw them in there. We got a cord to something that we don't know what it is, let's throw it in there. We got old gum, let's put it in there, you know? I mean, it, you, you just, everything in life just kind of gets tossed in that space, and it, it's, there's not really a ton of use other than the fact that it's your junk drawer. I mean, your utensil drawer, you know what you're going to get when you go to your utensil drawer, don't you? You're going to get forks and knives, maybe like a pizza cutter or something. You know what you're going to get when you go to the, the baggy drawer. We have a baggy drawer in our house where, where all the like Ziploc bags and everything are and, and, and different things to wrap up food. So we, like when I go to the baggy drawer, there's a purpose to those drawers. But I think a lot of times in life, our lives end up kind of being like a junk drawer. Like we don't really know exactly why we exist. And so we're just kind of grabbing stuff and throwing it all in our life and going like, man, I hope this all fits. I hope this all works. And, and before long, like we've kind of created this monster because we're going in all these different directions, but we don't really have any real purpose. And so we just end up with a life that is kind of like a junk drawer, just full of stuff that isn't really that meaningful, that really isn't making that big of a difference in our lives. And I think for all of us, I would say the majority of us would say, man, I want my life to matter. I want my life to have purpose. In fact, they've done studies that said, man, if people could sit down with God and ask God one question, one question, 
You got one shot to ask God, what would that question be? And the overwhelming majority would say, God, why did you put me here on earth? Like, what is my purpose? What is my existence? Like, what do you want my life to be about? And I think that that's a, that's a good question. And today, I hope that we're going to help you answer a little bit of that question. I think that there's a pretty distinctive thing that Jesus says he wants to make you into. And when we think about Jesus and we think about the disciples, uh, when Jesus is calling his disciples, he tells them, hey, I'm going to make you into something. And most of us would think, well, if Jesus is going to make me into something, I would think that Jesus would want to make me, you know, more holy. Because that would make sense, wouldn't it? Like, if Jesus is going to come and make me something, like, more holy would be a good thing. That would be a positive attribute to my life. Or maybe Jesus will make me more disciplined. I lack some discipline in my life. And so Jesus wants to make me more disciplined. That, that would make sense if you are a Christ follower. Or, or maybe you think, well, maybe Jesus wants to make me rich. Like, I, I like that one. Like, I'll take that one. Like, Jesus, maybe he wants to make me rich. Or maybe Jesus wants to make me smarter. I, I, I don't know. Like, all those things are good things. But the reality is, is we all have desires that we'd like Jesus to make us. Maybe for some of us, it's like, man, I would like Jesus to make me a better parent. Like, I'd like to be a better uh, uh, uh husband or a better father or a better mother or a better wife for some of us it is man i'd like to be more successful I, I wish jesus would make me more successful like that would be an awesome thing or i wish jesus would make me wiser so that i would make really really good decisions in life and 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 i would say that man those are all good things to aspire that god would make you but when jesus calls his disciples he does not tell them he will make them any of those things he tells them, I'm going to make you one thing. And so we're going to find out what that one thing is today. And I think that when we discover that one thing, and as we apply that one thing, it can revolutionize why we really exist here on earth. And so we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 1, it's where we'll be hanging out. If you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide. If you didn't grab one of those at the door, you can look on the screen. All the scripture will be there. And Mark chapter 1, it's the second book in the New Testament. Uh, it's one of the Gospels. Mark kind of gives you the bottom line aspect of Jesus' story. And so if you're a bottom line kind of person, you just want the nuts and the bolts and the details, Mark is your boy. Uh, this is where you want to read. And so Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14 and 15, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He says, the time has come. And, and so if we just stop right here, we got to understand that for the Jewish people, who have been waiting for this Messiah, they've been waiting for this time to come. Like, and, and for the vast majority of them, this has been hundreds of years since God has made this promise of a Messiah, and it has yet to come to fruition. And so these people have lost hope at this point. They've kind of gotten to this, this hopeless state, and they're just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, is this ever going to happen? And I feel like so many times, that's how we go through life. We go through life going, man, I wonder if this is going to ever happen. God promised this, but is that really going to take place? And Jesus is going like, listen, I know that you've been hoping, but hope is on its way. Take notice right now. Hope is on its way. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, this is interesting because repentance traditionally has, has, has made, what God has used repentance is, is that he's used it as a, a, as a precursor to him doing something. So he would tell people, repent, and then this will happen. He would say, like, uh, 
like if you go back into the Old Testament, there's a verse that said, if my people who, who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways, if will do something, he says, then I will heal your land. Then I will do something in your life. And so typically, repentance is this idea of if you do this, then God will do this. Like, so this enables God to do this. But Jesus kind of turns the table here and says, listen, that's not how it's working. Because, see, something has already happened, and you need to get ready for what's happening. Because if you don't get ready, you're going to miss the opportunity of a lifetime. You're going to miss out on this moment. You need to open your eyes to the reality of what's going on. And if you're not tuning in to what I'm trying to do, it's going to pass you by and you're going to miss it. And some of us, man, Jesus is trying to do some things right now, right in front of us, but because we're not tuned in, we're missing this divine moment, this divine opportunity for him to show up in a mighty and powerful way and totally transform our lives. And so he's saying, man, listen, you gotta, you got to be aware of what's going on. you got to be looking around. you got to get prepared for what's about to happen in your life. And this is an important thing. I've learned this all throughout my life. I especially learned this in, in dating my wife. When my wife and I, we are actually engaged. Um, we've known each other since we were 11 years old. We started off as friends who competed playing sports. And so she was playing with all the boys. And, and so like we just grew into this great friendship. And eventually we got engaged. And so we've been competing our entire life. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a competition in our house. Uh, everything is a competition. Who, who can clean up the fastest? Who can do the laundry the fastest? Who draws better? You know, like any sport that we play, it is strict competition all the time. And being the amazing husband that I am, I never let her win. And so like, I, it's like, it's always about winning. It's been about winning since we were 11. It's about winning at 37. It's always about winning. And so we, we got engaged, and, and I happened to live on the river, on the Mantee River, and we had this house, and we'd go out and we'd go tubing a lot out on the boat. So we'd be pulling tubes, and we love to go double tubing, which is basically you pull a tube behind the boat, and you put two people on it, and you see who can stay on it the longest. Uh, and, and, and you do whatever it takes to stay on that tube. You knock the other person off. You, you try to get the right positioning. It's all about staying on. And so, like, I, 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 you know, if you're going to go tubing with your fiance, you got to make sure that, you, like, as a dude, you're like, dude, I better show off some guns here. Like, I better stay on this tube. And so, man, we go tubing. Shaylin fall off all the time, get concussions. It's awesome. Uh, and so, not really, I'm, I'm joking, but you do kind of feel like you get a concussion. Uh, and so we're, we're tubing out in the Mantee River. Now, what you got to understand is behind our house, for some reason, when they were putting power lines through, they put in these huge uh, stone pillars all, all throughout the Manatee River. And when they removed some of them, they left these, these concrete pillars like in the river. And so you would kind of tube around them knowing that they exist, but you're not really paying attention because you're just trying to stay on the tube. And so we're tubing around, and man, my stepdad was driving the boat that day, and he was, he was whipping us around, and you know, I, I'm trying to gain positioning there, because I don't want to let go. Like, I've got to win this deal, because this is, this is how I'm going to determine if she's the one. Like, how does she do in this? And so, uh, you know, even though I've already put a ring on her finger, and so, like, we're tubing around, and, and I noticed that as we're going, we're getting closer and closer to some of these, these concrete pilings. And I'm like, ah, uh, my stepdad's got this. Like, and so 
uh, I just I, I keep holding on, and we're going around, and because I'm always paying attention to what's ahead, because I want to get positioning, you need to know if he's going to go left, so you can kind of slide over, so you can get to the center, so you don't flip as quickly. It's all about positioning and tubing, just in case you guys go this afternoon. Get some good positioning, and it's grip, grip strength right there. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm positioning myself for this turn, and I'm like, man, we're really close to those pilings, and so I think this through really quick in my mind, and I just let go and let go of the tube, and I just fall off, and Shayla keeps going, and and for some reason Shayla will tell you this story. She she goes in her mind. She goes, TJ is the most competitive guy in the world. There is no reason that he would ever let go of the inner tube. Like it's, like I've never seen him let go of the inner tube at this point in my life. Like why would he do that? Like I better just let go and see what I was doing. I was seeing if she would follow, even if she didn't understand. So I was it's a test. Not really. I wasn't thinking about her at all. I was being completely selfish. I'm just being honest. <laughs> and, and so like miraculously, she lets go of the inner tube, and like ten seconds later, it slams into this concrete piling. Like would have killed her. Okay, why was I telling that story? <laughs> you ever have one of those moments where you just lose your entire train of thought? That just happened. And, and like, would have killed her, but didn't because I was looking ahead and saw. And so many times, things are coming into our life, and they're hitting us, and they're coming at us. And because we're not looking ahead, we're not opening up our eyes, we're missing out on some things, or we're being destroyed by some things, and, and God is trying to speak to us today, and he's saying, hey, listen, the time has come, man, get ready, get ready, people, get ready, because something is about to happen in your life, open your lives, open your eyes, take some time, prepare for the moment that's about to come on you, in verse 16, it continues on, it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And he said, I will send you out to fish for people. Notice he didn't say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you smarter, or I'm going to make you richer, or I'm going to make you more disciplined. He said, no, 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 no. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him, which to me seems pretty irresponsible. If you're out there fishing and you just caught a whole bunch of fish, you're not going to just like leave all those fish in your nets and just roll out on, on your family and friends. Like that, that seems pretty irresponsible, but that's exactly what they did. It says in verse 19, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Now, can you imagine working with your pops or your dad, and all of a sudden, like, this guy says, hey, follow me, and you just roll out of the boat, and you take off and follow him? Like, your parents would think, typical teenager, you know, like, never, they, like, they don't have any sense whatsoever. They're just, they're just going to go do whatever, and that's exactly what they did. And these teenagers who they say were in 16 to 20 years old range, that's what the historians believe, that these guys were, these guys end up following Jesus and eventually becoming fishers of men who go out and they fish for other people who become followers, who eventually become fishers of men, who end up following, who eventually become fishers of men. And today we're sitting here worshiping this carpenter named Jesus because a couple of guys decided that to follow was to fish. And you need to know that to follow Jesus is to fish. 
We need to get that. And, and it didn't matter what group of people that they fell into because there were sinners and there were priests. There were good people and there were bad people. There were prostitutes and there were mothers. It didn't matter. There was a wide variety of people and they just decided, man, we're going to follow. And eventually as we follow, Jesus is going to make us fishers of men. But the reality was is that they were terrible at this at first. Like they weren't instantaneous, like, like this, just this incredible group of fishers of men. In fact, the disciples who, were, who ended up changing most of the world because of their following, excuse me, following Jesus uh, were terrible at first. Jesus would be trying to do an illustrated sermon, and he'd be like, hey, send the kids over to me. And the disciples would be like, get those snotty-nosed brats out of here. And he'd be like, that's my illustration, dude. What are you doing? Or they'd be sitting next to Jesus and they'd be arguing about, like, hey, I'm better. No, I'm better. And Jesus would be like, dude, y'all are like two ants sitting next to an elephant. I'm better. Like, y'all just don't get it. Or they would go out and they would, they would go and try to get a demon out of a guy. And then they'd come back to Jesus and they'd be like, well, the demon wouldn't come out of the guy. He'd go, well, did you pray? Oh, man, we should have thought of that. That would have been a good idea. Jesus. Like, they just didn't get this whole following thing. And they struggled, but eventually, before long, they don't just follow, but they truly become fishers of men. And Jesus' goal for them, Jesus' goal for me, Jesus' goal for you is for you to follow, and as you follow, to make you a fisher of men. And so what does that mean? That means he wants you to go and share with other people about the experience you've had with him so that other people can have that same kind of experience with him, and then they can turn around and do the same thing with someone else in their life. That's why as a church, we have a mission statement as a church of we want to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church so they can experience, so they can know, and so they can follow Jesus. And the goal of our church is, man, we want you to experience Jesus, and then we want you to turn around and go out and try to make it hard for somebody else to go to hell like you were before and become a Christ follower so you can experience, so you can know, and so then you can follow Jesus, which then, if you're following Jesus, you're going to become a fisher of men, which means you're going to go out and you're going to tell somebody else, and all of a sudden, that's a trickle-down effect. And that's how the process keeps reciprocating over and over and over and over again. But if you think about your life with Christ, the reason the majority of us came to Christ wasn't because Jesus said, hey, come follow me and be a fisher of men, is it? Like, that wasn't the thing that sold us. For the majority of us, myself included, they told me that there was this place called heaven, and it's got gold, and it's got pearly gates, and you can spend eternity there. Or on the flip side, there's this place called hell, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and they burn you all day long. Which one would you like to have? Come on now. Come on. Like, we found Christ for selfish reasons, didn't we? Am I the only one that found Christ for a selfish reason? Or is anybody else with me? Like, I found Jesus because I wanted something. Seriously, nobody else wanted something? I mean, come on. Somebody else had to want something up in this mug. I would just tell Like, I wanted something. For some of us, it's like we, we looked at our life and we're like, man, my marriage is going to, to trash. And I like, I need Jesus to fix my relationship. And God's like, man, I'm the God of restoration. You're like, I'll take some of that. Or you're like, man, I've, I got all these bills, and Jesus says, man, I'll supply all of your needs. And you're like, I, like, I got needs. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not downplaying the promises of God, because the promises of God are incredible, and they're promises for all of us. 
But if Jesus, like honestly, if somebody rolled up to you and was like, hey, listen, come follow me and be fishers of men, like none of us are signing up in this room. Unless you're smoking crack, then you're just like, that sounds good, yeah. Fish. No, like none of us would do that. Like that, that this, is the, this is the stupidest thing in the world to do. Come on, let's be honest. When you read the Bible, sometimes you're like, that just sounds stupid. Like nobody would do that. Oh, see, like I'm getting real now because I know you guys think that that's why it's quiet. Because you're like, man, I've been, I've been reading this thing. I don't, it sounds stupid to me sometimes, too. Uh, but sometimes it's because we don't, we don't get the full story. And so it's why it's good to look at some of the other versions sometimes. See, because Mark's a bottom line guy. He's just giving you the, the, the highlighted details. Like, we kind of need, like, the, the guy that gives more, like, the women's point of view, which is, like, every single detail. You know, guys, when you get home at night and, and your wife asks, how's your day? And you're like, fine. And then you go, well, how was yours? And then for the next three hours, you're listening to that. Like, well, Susie said that at 3 o'clock, we should go have fun. And this was at 8 a.m. And then at 8.02, I got a phone call. Like, like we need more of those details. And so, like, we're going to take a look at some of those details from, from Luke's perspective. He's a physician, so he has to give all the details. And so, what does Luke say about this? In Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, on, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of the G word, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he has to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets let down your nets for a catch. And so what we see right now is Jesus has been teaching some people. He's, he's, he's preaching a sermon. He realizes, man, I need to get a better perspective here so more people can hear me. Jumps into a fisherman's boat who's, who's already done his job for the night. And, and he's like, hey, let's go back out a little bit. Starts preaching. And then he says, hey, listen, I, I, I noticed something. Why don't you put your nets down? And this is, this is Simon's response, which I think is pretty interesting. He says, master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, which means there's something missing in his life that he needs. There's something lacking in Simon's life. And he says, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so Jesus performs this incredible miracle meets this in, important practical need in their life. And when they get to shore, they're like, dude, like, I don't know what's up with this guy, but I'll, I want some more of that. Like, I just had an experience with this guy that, like, totally revolutionized my life. And so they go and they follow him. And I'm sure that their dads were like, dude, did you just see what that guy did? Y'all better follow him. They weren't like, oh, that's irresponsible. They're like, no, that's, that's somebody you want to follow. 
And they followed Jesus because of what they saw. What does Jesus do? He meets the deepest need of their life in that moment, which is they need fish. And after he meets their need, he invites them to follow him. And he says, listen, I'm going to help you become something that you're not currently. You're currently fishers of fish. I'm going to make you into a fisher of man. See, how you're living right now is for all the temporary things. See, you're living in the dash, that, and that's the date of between when you are born and when you die. And a lot of us, we live for the temporal things in life. We live for our relationships, our marriages. We live for, we live for our careers. We live for, we live for our finances. We live for the next opportunity that's out there. And all of those things, while they're good, are all temporary. Listen, your marriage is temporary. I'm not saying you're getting a divorce tomorrow, but what I am saying is at some point, you are going to die, which means that that marriage is over. Your, your job that you're striving after right now, that career, at some point that career is going to end. It's temporary. You're going to retire. You're going to get fired. Your, that career is going to end. You're going to die. Something's going to happen where that, that ends for you. It's over. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, listen, all that temporary stuff, while there is value to it, what I'm going to do is those experiences, that, that life that you're living right now, I'm going to use your temporary to intersect with somebody else's temporary, and we're going to turn your temporary into something eternal. See, because followers always eventually fish if they're truly following. See, every single follower eventually fishes if they're truly following Jesus. And I know some of you guys are saying, well, TJ, that's easy for you. I mean, you're, you're like a professional Christian. You're supposed to go and tell people about Jesus. And I, I, I would beg to differ. I think it's so much harder for me to tell people about Jesus. Because as soon as somebody hears what I do, all of a sudden they become a totally different person. I'll give you, like, I go and play golf, and I like to go play golf by myself so I can get paired up with other people, just so I can hang out with people that don't know who I am. And I go out there, and we'll be playing golf, and they'll be cussing, and they'll be fussing, and they'll be, they'll be telling dirty jokes and doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, about the 14th hole, they'll go, so what do you do for a living? And I'll go, well, I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden, their sisters, aunts, brothers, cousins, nieces, friend is a missionary, and they're talking King James. And I'm like, where's the dude that was just telling me dirty jokes? Like, where did that guy go? Like, I, like I, w- I wanted to have a conversation. But, like, all of a sudden it just got really superficial in that moment. Why? Because, oh, I'm, like, I got some sort of title now. And so, like, I'm at this, this huge disadvantage. Like, people, people don't want to talk to me about those things. Reminds me of, of, of the pastor that, that went out and was, was going door to door with his, some people in his congregation and just visiting with them and, checking out what was happening, and one Saturday as he was out there, he was knocking on one of these doors, and he noticed the, the TV was on, and the lights were on, and he, he kind of saw somebody run through the living room, and he, so he kept knocking, and he's like, man, what's up with these people? Why are they, why are they ignoring me? Don't they know who I am? And, and so he took out his business card, and he wrote Revelation 3.20 on it, and, and Revelation 3.20 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, open the door, and I will come to him and dine with him and be with him. 
And he just left, and he thought, well, if they want, if they want to hang out, then, then they can call or something. And so next Sunday, as, as some people are counting the offering, they bring, they bring an envelope to the pastor that was addressed to him and said, Pastor, this, this is for you. And he opens up the envelope, and inside there is his business card. And he's like, oh, that's kind of weird. And he flips it over, and on the back of it is written Genesis 3.10. I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I, naked, I was naked, and I hid. And so... But that's how people are. They're, they're, they're hiding, you know. So, like, when I come up, they're, they're hiding on me. And so many of us think, well, well, you know, you're just so much better than talking to people than I am. And, and we think that about other people, too. We think, man, that person's just so much better because they've got a really cool story. Like, their life was a train wreck, and then in the middle of their train wreck, they found Jesus, and their life is radically different. So their story is way, like, people want to hear their story, and the person with the train wreck life is going, man, I wish I had the story like the person that has never done anything wrong, that's kind of followed Jesus all their life, because they didn't have to go through all the garbage I went through. They've just followed God and had this incredible life every single day, and I missed out on that. And and we always think that, man, we're not qualified based on our story and our gifts and the talents that we have and what God has done in our life to be fishers of men. We disqualify ourselves. But I want us to understand that's why Jesus said to us, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Like, see, there's nothing that, that we have to do to become a fisherman other than to follow him because what he's trying to do is he's trying to get us past ourselves because we freak out about the methodology and the terminology that we're, do I say this? Do I use Romans Road? How do I approach that conversation? We freak out over all of that stuff and God's saying, listen, it's not about all that stuff. It's about the process I'm taking you on. It's about you following me because as you're following me, you're, you're, you're having this story being written about your journey of following me and how as you follow me, your life is being changed. In fact, just think about your life change. Think about the person that impacted your life, that God used to reach you. Just think about them for a moment. And I want you to think about a couple of facts about them. Number one, you had already heard the message before. I don't think that there's a single person in this room that has not heard about Christ at some point through some rhyme, some reason, some way. I mean, we have televangelists. We got, we got things all over the place that are saying things about Jesus to us. What you hadn't had to that point was the messenger. See, there's, the message has been out there all along. You just didn't run into the person that, ha, that was the right messenger for the message yet. See, you needed somebody to run into that, that your story and their story would intertwine at the perfect moment that God would leverage their experiences and their life to impact your experiences in your life. And all of us know it's true. Like, we, like we've heard of Jesus. But it was the messenger that made the biggest difference. And some of you guys are like, man, like, I, I don't know about that, TJ. I mean, I've been here for 25 minutes. I still haven't found Mark yet. I'm still struggling with all this. You're, you're good at this. 
No, 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 I'm just a messenger. Just like you're a messenger. In fact, if we were to sit down and just have a conversation, and you were to go, TJ, tell me your story. Like, we were to sit down over a cup of coffee, preferably at a good coffee shop, not Starbucks. Um, and, and, yeah, some amens out there for coffee lovers. Um, and, and you were to go, hey, give me, give me your background. Like, what's your deal? In, in, like, three minutes, this is what I would tell them. Hey, like, you know, I grew up in, in a broken home. My parents got divorced at a really young age. And uh, while my home was broken, I ended up with two incredible sets of parents. I have a great mom and stepdad, and I have an incredible dad and stepmom. And they, 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 they love me. They provided great environments. I mean, they put me in great schools. And, and my mom and my stepdad were really, really hardcore about Jesus. And so, like, I grew up around church and all of those things. But at some point around 16 years old, I just kind of went crazy. Uh, I don't know what it was in my life, but I just got heavily into partying and drinking and, and girls. And I thought that that was going to fill this void in my life. And, and for the next almost three years, like, I, I just, I gave myself to those three things. And that's all I was after. In fact, and it, it cost me a lot. It cost me a, a college scholarship to play football uh, in my first semester. It, it, it got me to this place where I was in New Orleans during Mardi Gras, passed out in the gutter. Uh, with alcohol poisoning, and, and I was struggling. And I remember getting home from, from being in New Orleans and my parents asking me to go to church. And I'd gone to church all my life. I'd, I'd heard the message over and over and over again. And most of the time when I'd go to church, I'd go sit out in the lobby while my parents went in. And when they came out, uh, I would go home with them. And so I was sitting in the lobby of this church, just appeasing them. And um, this woman named Jeanette came and sat down next to me. And she started talking, and for the first time, I felt like somebody heard me. You ever have one of those moments where somebody just, they just, they hear you? And I remember at the end of that conversation of Jeanette just listening, her just looking at me and going, you know what, God has got something absolutely incredible for you, TJ, if you'll just look for him. And, and that was the end of it. And I remember going home that night, and there was, like, I just couldn't shake what she said to me. And I remember getting down on my knees and going, God, I don't know what that means, but whatever that is, like, I want that. And I remember getting around a group of people uh, at this local church, and they started encouraging me. They started doing connect groups with me, and I started growing in my relationship with God. And before long, I started realizing that, man, I had this passion that I wanted to help people right where I was get past that place to the purpose and destiny that God had for them. And so I became a pastor, and I've given the, the rest of my life to helping people discover God's purpose and plan for them. And I want them to not have to go through the things that I went through. And so that, that's my story in, in a three-minute nutshell. And, and there's three parts to it. There's how my life was like before Christ. How I, encountered, how I encountered God. Man, I got down on my knees, and I said, God, here I am. I don't get all this, but I, I want whatever you got. And then what has happened since then and why my life is the way it is. And so that's my story. And all of us have a story. Every single one of us have a story. In fact, I, I just want to ask you this question. Billy Graham, greatest evangelist uh, of, of the modern century, uh, won more people to Christ than any other individual in the entire world. How many of you guys came to Christ because of a Billy Graham crusade or TV episode? Or Okay, nobody. Good. Um, not really, but uh, how many guys, uh, let me ask this question. How many guys came to Christ because of a friend or family member, their story intersected with your story, and it got you to Christ? The vast majority of people? Why is that? Like, 
What's the deal? Like, I'm sure that you've heard the message over and over and over again. I've heard the message hundreds of times at this point in my life. And the reason I, I ask you that question is because we all have a story, and every single one of us has a unique story. See, Jeanette had a unique story that day that intersected with my life. And it was perfect for that moment. And just like that person's story was perfect for my moment, your story that God is writing right now is perfect for somebody else's moment. And God just wants to leverage your life to intersect with somebody else's life to create that moment so that they can have their life transformed. And I realize my story is great for some people, but you know what? For some people, they don't relate to my story at all. But you know what is perfect for them? Your story. And some of you guys think, well, my story doesn't matter. No, no, no. Every story matters. Every story matters. And God wants to use your story to impact somebody else's life. Because your story could be the story that changes someone's life. Your story might be the story that causes somebody to stop looking at their temporal and start living for eternal. And we need to recognize that we have a unique story. And with our unique story, here's the most important part that that person did, at least for me, and I'm sure they did for you. They were willing to care for you, and then they were willing to share. So many times we think it's so much about what we say, but what it's so much about, honestly, it's more about what we do. It's more about how are we living our life? Are we willing to care for people before we share? In fact, I found this doctoral dissertation this week. I'm a, I'm a dork. I, I read crap like this. Um, of this study from these two groups of missionaries that went to Thailand. And this, this person's doctoral thesis was, like, who would be the most effective? And there was one group that they called the converters. And their whole goal, they went to, to Thailand, and they were just going to go out into the streets every single day, and they're going to preach. They're going to preach, God is, God is here. You better save. You better get saved. You better repent of your sins. You know, they're just, they're just out there every single day preaching to people in the streets, believing that they were going to win people to Christ. That was their whole objective. That was their whole mission. That was their whole passion. Man, I'm just going to preach to people. I'm going to preach to people. I'm going to preach to people. Then there was a second group of people that they called, they, they, they dubbed them the blessers. And their whole objective the entire time they were in Thailand was they were just going to go into communities. They were going to find practical needs, and they were just going to love people and meet practical needs. They were going to just care for the community, overwhelmingly care for the community. And if at some point somebody was open to them sharing or they wanted them to share, they would be willing to share. And so these two groups, they went to Thailand, I think it was for a year. And, and at the end of the year, the, the, the synopsis of this study was that the blessers, the people who just went in there to love and to care with no strings attached, not doing it for any other reason, were 50 times more effective at winning people to Christ than the people that were out there just preaching every single day. And I know that some of you guys will go, well, of course, that, that just makes total sense. That you go out and you care for people and you love people unconditionally. Of course, more people are going to go, you know what, I don't know what this is all about, but I want some of that. But this is what I know is that that's no different for us if we would actually open up our eyes to the hurt and to the pain that's all around us. If we would be like Jesus and realize that there are some practical needs that people have 
There's some situations that they're rolling through right now that they just need somebody to carry. It isn't necessarily that you have to go buy them something. Like Jeanette didn't have to buy me anything. All she had to do was lend an ear. Just actually care and listen to my situation. Then we can allow Jesus to make us into fishers of men. But it starts with us going, God, open my eyes to see what's right before me. Help me to see what's going to pass right through my path today. Because Jesus said the time has come. It's like it's right now before us. This isn't something for the future. This isn't for 10 years from today. This is for now. He says, like, you've got to become aware of what's going on all around you. And if you'll care and realize that you have this unique story to share with other people, that maybe, just maybe, God has put those people in your path so that you can intersect with them. And God can leverage what he's done in your life to impact their life. And there's not a better time to do this than right now. See, more people are more open to Jesus this time of year. Christmas and Easter, this is when they're open to Jesus more than any other time of the year. Statistics tell us over and over again, these aren't the statistics that, that people like Steve and I just make up because we're pastors. These are actually real statistics. Come on, you know pastors make up statistics. I mean, it's, it's a no, I mean, you can find a statistic for anything if you really want it bad enough. But like, these are real researchers that say that 90% of people, 9 out of 10 people, are open to an invitation to Jesus at Easter. And so what does that mean? That means that, man, we, we put these little cards in your worship gods every single week. Specifically for Easter, because we know that people are more prone to say yes to this than any other time. And this is what I know is that they're just like those disciples that were sitting in that boat. There is a void in their life right now. There's something missing. And Jesus has intersected your story with their story to share with them. So he can do something incredible. And we can partner together and we can see lives changed. If we'll realize that to truly follow is to fish. That to truly be a disciple and the essence of discipleship, at the very core of discipleship, to be a disciple, to be a follower, is evangelism. It's about telling others. It's about continuing the pattern that Jesus set himself. Let's pray today. God, we just come before you. And I thank you that you are a God that doesn't just want us to be followers, but you want us to be fishers of men and women. That you want us to get beyond the temporal things of life. Like, you're concerned about those things, and I know we've got some temporal things right now that, that are struggles in our life. But so many times, what we focus on determines our attention. And our attention is on the wrong things. We're focusing on the problems instead of the solution, which is you. 
And God, today, what you're saying is, if you just follow me, if you just get and keep your eyes focused on me, I will do some incredible things in your temporal situations. In fact, the reason you're going through your trial right now is so I can use your story to impact somebody else's story. Like you think your test is just a test, but it's really going to be your testimony to impact someone else. And so don't, don't look down on that. Know that I've got you in that. And that if you'll just keep following, then I'll intersect your life with somebody else's life to do something absolutely incredible. And maybe you're here today and, and Jesus needs to intersect with your life. Maybe you've never had an intersection with Jesus. You've never had an intersection with his story and your story. And, and maybe today you're going, man, I, you know what? I, I just need to intersect with Jesus before I intersect with somebody else. Like, I need Jesus to come into my life. And it's really simple. It, it starts with a prayer. It starts with you saying, God, I've screwed up. I messed up. I, I need you. I realized that you died 2,000 years ago. And you rose again, defeating death and the grave, sin and shame and all the, the garbage that I'm experiencing in life. And that through you, I can have an eternal life. And all it says that we have to do is it says that we just have to believe and confess that you're Lord. And so maybe you're here today and you need to do that. Just do that right now. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for what you're doing in people's lives and going to do in people's lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.